0: Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride, right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Good morning, everybody. And this morning, we have ATX mom. Good morning, ATX.
1: Good morning. Good morning. How are you today?
0: I am great. Are you ready to share your story?
1: I am. Yeah,
0: I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's do this.
1: Okay, Um, so I'm ATX mom on the app, and uh, my name is Rebecca, for anybody who doesn't know me. And I go by Beck by a lot of people, and so I don't mind being called either. Um, I live in Austin, Texas. I've lived here for the majority of my life, and I am married with an 11-year-old son. I joined the app, uh, the IAS app, probably about two, maybe three years ago. I was already aware that my drinking was too much, and I was doing... um, a, a really fun workout routine with a group of people called Camp Gladiator, which is all real community-based and, and just really fun. And the only time I could fit it into my schedule was to go to a 5 a.m. class. And I found that my drinking was preventing me from going. And it was halting, you know, this progress that I had made and all this strength that I had gained. And, um, So, I downloaded the app originally to kind of start tracking how I was drinking um, and do the classic stuff that everybody does when they think they drink too much, where you're like, I'm not going to drink Monday through Friday. And then Saturdays and Sundays will be okay. I don't have to go to my workouts. And so, you know, I'll just stay sober for the school night so I can help with homework and things like that. But uh, I, I could never do it. You know, I may do it like a couple of times throughout the week, but for the most part, there was always an excuse to, to drink. Um, and so, you know, when I, I first started diving into the alcoholism, I've actually kind of dabbled with the thoughts for years without really being fully ready to accept it, I guess. Um, a lot of people kind of talk about where they came from and how they started. And I was thinking about my family and my family, uh, they didn't drink. Like my house was the boring house growing up. My parents didn't keep alcohol around. I didn't experiment with drinking at my house. Um, My dad's an airline pilot. My mom's a school teacher. I have two younger brothers and I grew up with a strong sense of morals and kind of right and wrong. And I knew that drinking was wrong. And so I didn't drink, um, I have on my mom's side of family, lots of alcoholics and drug abusers. And so I knew that that was part of my background. And I really just wasn't that interested in drinking. I was a pretty naive kid growing up. Uh, I just, I kind of just thought the best of everybody, I guess. Um, but when we moved to Austin, uh, I was in middle school and I made some really, really good friends and it was with those friends that I first started drinking. Um, and now I have an 11 year old son, which really kind of makes things staggering when I think about it, because I was probably only 13 or 14 when I started drinking And at the time, it didn't seem like anything. It didn't seem like anything was wrong. We didn't drink at my parents' house. We drank at my girlfriend's house. My friends were all like good girls, good grades, good families. So I didn't feel like I was in a, I wasn't in with the bad kids. And her mother supervised our drinking. (laughs) She encouraged it sometimes. Um, but she allowed us to drink at one of my friend's house. So that was my first experience with drinking and, and getting, you know, tipsy. We didn't get drunk. We didn't get sick. Um, we just got giggly like girls do. Um, but that was really my first experience of drinking and it was a good experience. It was fun. And I know that we used to look forward to slumber parties over the weekend so we could drink. Um, when, I was a senior. My parents unexpectedly got divorced in a big tumultuous, you know, dramatic thing. And uh, I was ill-equipped to handle the emotions of that at the time, like my family wasn't an emotional family, really. They didn't talk about feelings. They didn't, they weren't like openly expressive. Both of my parents come from abusive backgrounds, good families, but abusive families, abusive situations. And so like as an adult now, I can kind of see where they were and and what they were struggling with at the time. But all I really can think about was how little of attention I was getting and how poorly I was doing. And that was really kind of like the turning point of when my drinking for just fun times on the weekend with my girlfriends turned into doing things that I knew were wrong, that I knew went against my family's guidelines and things like that. But I just, I was in a bad place and I didn't know how to cope. Like I had no coping skills and that's been, I've realized now throughout my whole life, I don't have good coping skills. And so, uh, without that direct supervision, I really just kind of started doing all the things that I knew I was not allowed to do when my parents did pay attention. Um, My grades started to slip. I started to skip school. I started hanging out with friends who liked to do the things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. You know, I started uh, smoking pot. And after I graduated high school, I almost immediately met my now husband. So this was like 97 and I met him. I was 17 and uh, he had, he was a couple years older than me, but he had experimented with everything. He was kind of like this really intelligent, but really reckless, kind of self-destructive, really good looking guy. And he... I was just completely enamored and he really kind of introduced and pushed my boundaries. So then, you know, we smoked pot and we tried Coke and we did acid and we did a bunch of other drugs that I had always been way too afraid to try, you know, up until then. But again, I didn't have like the friends around me anymore that didn't do those things. And I had these new friends who did and i had parents who were not good to be around and so i just that was like my first experience of numbing you know like when i would drink with my friends my girlfriends that was just fun that was just fun girl stuff but this was more like numbing coping not dealing with problems and that's probably where my problems with substances started. Um, I and it was challenging because I had a lot of expectations for myself, and I was while I was self medicating and ignoring how I was feeling because I wasn't emotionally mature enough to handle all of those emotions. I was also really disappointed in myself because I knew I wasn't doing the things that I was raised to do because my parents have very high expectations. Um, I really related to rags and to, uh, to 10 seconds because my parents treated me the same way. At least my mom did with that whole, you can do no wrong. You are just the light of our lives. These are, you know, my mom has (laughs) always introduced me as like, and this is my daughter, Rebecca, the nurse, the caretaker, the, the one with the, you know, like, I'm just like, I hang the moon for her, but I have these two younger brothers who are really, really hard, (laughs) you know, like I have Uh, an adopted brother, my middle brother, who is deaf, and he is black. And so my mom's hands were constantly full with his special education, and trying to have him adapt to living and being raised in a white family, and everything that kind of comes with that. And this was like the 80s when people didn't really give a shit about stuff like that. And then, um, you know, a younger brother who was a complete kook, like he he was just, he's just become kind of a mess up his whole life. And so I had like these expectations for myself, these, um, I guess, feelings of obligation to live up to. And I didn't, uh, I wasn't meeting them, even though I was still escaping. And so it was a conflict, like I enjoyed escaping, but I also started getting anxiety about all the things that I wasn't doing that I knew I probably should have been doing. Um, so after my parents' divorce, I my, um, my relationship with people started to kind of deteriorate. I wasn't comfortable being around my mom because she was really emotional and I wasn't comfortable with that. And my dad, who I'd always had a really good relationship with, was completely gone. He was completely absent. He's, he's an airline pilot. So, or he was. And so like, we were used to him not being home, but um, I think it was a whole lot more for my mom. He wasn't home. My youngest brother had a lot of emotional shit and like ADHD. And then I had my middle brother and his disabilities. And like, she had a lot on her plate, (laughs) And so I was the one that seemingly had nothing bad going on with me. Like I am really good at putting on the mask that says I'm doing just fine. So don't look at me. And, um, that's just kind of how things, how things went for a while with them. Um, but after, after the, their divorce about, I don't know, six or seven months after their divorce, I met my husband, Now, my boyfriend at the time, Rob. And um, I would say that our relationship for several years was pretty underwhelming. Um, Like I didn't go to college like I was supposed to. Uh, I got an apartment at 19 and started supporting myself, started working. Um, And I had to deal with some pretty big blows that I was not prepared to deal with. Um, early in my relationship with my husband, he was arrested. Um, like this was probably months of meeting him, he was arrested. And I found out that he had been arrested for breaking into a car. <laughs> so and keep in mind, we come from like these these families where like this is not the type of thing that you do, but he broke into a car. And the car that he broke into, he's not from Texas, he doesn't understand how crazy our judicial system is, but he uh, broke into a car that unbeknownst to him was a distributor for Williamson County Police. So the things that he found in there and thought were really cool to take were stuff like bulletproof vests and night vision goggles and, you know, stuff like that <laughs> so i just gotta that, say oh <laughs> he did not know worst worst county he could have fucked with to be honest
0: <laughs> right right wow
1: oops so and the way that texas works is you know he was young enough that he was put into like a boot camp and I had to. I was really involved with this, and it was something I had never dealt with. I had never known anyone to go to jail. I had never dealt with anything like this. But he went to a boot camp that was supposed to be kind of a, a in between spot, and his paperwork got lost. And he was supposed to be there for like two months, and he was there for five. And I had to be the one, not his parents, but it was me. Who had to find all the paperwork and contact all the people and submit all the letters to get his paperwork found so that he could actually move on to the actual boot camp that he did. And so, um, I kind of feel like I've been very a very integral part of getting his life <laughs> together with him um, from a very early age, because I was probably only 20 at that point, maybe 19. And so um he went to his boot camp. He he got out, um, and he was on proba- or pro- probation, probation. And probation is really hard in Texas. It has a eighty percent return back to jail rate, um, especially for the county that he was in. And so it over the time it just became pro- uh, just like harder and harder for him to stay on the probation for as long as he was supposed to stay on the probation without messing up and going back to jail. And he just kind of at one point gave up and that was that he went to prison um and he went to prison for about two years and during that time i didn't feel like we had a relationship and i i broke things off with him and it was the first time i'd ever like done something like that in our relationship where i just said i can't do this for you this time um and that was really hard that was something he was not expecting from me. Um, but when he got out of jail, we got right back together. Uh, and this time he had a plan. He had this, like, it was like he'd grown up in jail, you know, cause we're still pretty young, still in our early twenties. Uh, and he came out of jail with this plan. I'm gonna go be a commercial diver. Uh, you know, he's he's been a scuba diver. He's gonna go be a commercial diver. And so. Uh, We moved to Houston together. He went through commercial diving school. Um, We kind of rode Katrina and Rita, the hurricanes out. And uh, he went to work and I went back to Austin and he was gone a lot because in diving, that's just what happens. You're just gone a lot. And so um, I had a lot of money to spend (laughs) because he was constantly making money. I was staying at my mom's rent-free because we were planning a wedding and I was drinking a ton. I had made girlfriends who didn't have boyfriends and we would go out and go drinking. And then I was driving home just completely obliterated. And that was probably the first time my drinking kind of got scary for me because I was driving home, not remembering driving home and things like that. Um, but inevitably he, you know, he, we got married, um, and we were in the process of figuring out what we were going to do from that next point in time. And he, um, he lost his job. And so we were kind of stuck in Austin where you don't, there's no commercial diving in Austin. It's all in the Gulf of Mexico. And so, uh, we kind of stuck, we were stuck in Austin for like a year. We got married, And then we were still stuck in Austin with no work, no job. um, And some pretty crummy things happened in our marriage that really could have, really could have, or maybe should have ended our marriage. Like we had, um, he had an affair and then, um, and then I did. And so uh, it was one of those things where I knew it was going on. And so Somehow, in the back of my head, I thought by getting even, I was gonna get it out of him, or I don't know what I was thinking, but um, I did. I it got the truth out, and then we kind of had to figure out, well, are we gonna get a divorce or are we gonna try to fix this? And so, in the middle of all of that, like pain and lack of trust and all these, all these bad things, we were drinking really, really heavily, like really heavily and doing really reckless things. Um, we would drink a lot and then get coked up and then go to bars. Um, we were, we were just doing reckless things, things that I would have never done, you know, and it caused a lot of rifts in my friendships, because I had a lot of people who were very opinionated about what I should or should have been doing. And um, so kind of as a last ditch effort, Rob uh, applied for a job in Louisiana, and he got it. And we moved to Louisiana. And it was just kind of like we were barely hanging on. But we needed to get out of Austin, we needed to get away from this area that was carrying so much negativity and just try to have a new life. So we moved to Austin or I'm sorry, Lafayette and things were actually like really good. We made um, a wonderful network of friends. I've always, he still teases me about this stuff because networking has always been something I've been really good at. And prior to moving to Louisiana before, like when he first started diving, I created a, dive wife community because we're left alone to raise kids so much that I just thought it would be beneficial for us to be able to support each other. And so my dive wife community, I had like 10 friends already established when I moved to Louisiana and those people became our family and we celebrated holidays together and we got pregnant together and we had our kids together and our like it was just this tight knit family. Um, I
0: just got to ask, were any of them Kunas?
1: So I do have some Kunas friends. (laughs) I do. But most of the people that I befriended were transplants because there are dive schools in different areas. So there's a dive school up on the, there's one in California. There's one outside of Seattle. There's one in Louisiana, California. So a lot of these people had moved from these areas. And so nobody knew anybody. None of us had family. None of us had friends, you know? And so we became each other's friends and family. Um, and, and we drank a lot. And that was another thing. Like I'd gone from being in a really miserable situation in Austin where I thought I was going to get a divorce to a really happy, fun environment where I finally had all of these friends because it's fun. It's hard to make friends when you're an adult, you know, and all of a sudden I had these girlfriends and they had husbands like we all seemed to be on the same page and it was great. But we drank a lot like that was the our primary thing that we did was barbecue and drink. And we were bad drunks like we really we really drank.
0: So that was the moms group that was drinking, right?
1: The moms, the dads, I mean the moms did get together. I had a friend who had a pool and we would all go to her house. The babies would run around naked in the backyard. We'd swim. And my husband's even like made comments over the years about how, how much he hated this because, um, as much as my husband, I think has a drinking problem, my drinking problem was worse because I did it so much. It was my only form of socialization. It was my form of coping it was everything. It was like every, it, it made everything better. I would look forward to it. I would be like, we're going out tonight. I'm buying a big old bottle. I'm going to buy a pack of cigarettes. I'm going to get shit faced with my friends. This can be awesome. Like that was what I looked forward to. And, um, and so we did, and my husband hated coming home because then we would do barbecues and I would be like, yay, I'm not on kid duty. I can get even more drunk now and you can watch the kids. And so he's been working offshore, you know, like these 84 hour weeks for months on end. And then he comes home and he's Mr. Mom. And I'm like, gonna get drunk. And he hated it. He didn't like, some of my friends were really obnoxious and he, he hated that. Um, And so, but I mean, it didn't, it, it continued. It can, we drank and drank and drank until, eventually diving got kind of crappy and, um, people started moving away. And as our friends moved away, um, we started drinking more and more, just kind of at home. And, and that was just kind of our thing. Um, and in the midst of all of that, uh, we, we moved, um, uh, diving was tanking and people were losing work, um, cause that's just the oil and gas industry. And we had an opportunity to move to Delaware to help Rob's mom. He's from the East coast and her husband had died and she wasn't doing well. And so we decided to just kind of pick up and move to Delaware and go take care of her for a while. Um, and so we left our entire community and did that, like, just, we just up and went to Delaware. <laughs> so um, so let's see, where was I? So at this point we had a baby. We had, um, I think Holden was three or four at the time. And we moved to Delaware, not really knowing what we were gonna be doing, but just kind of excited to have the break, the financial break. Cause that's another thing with diving is that, you know, they go and they work for two months at a time and they bring home thousands of dollars and then they don't work for a month. And so you have to be really, really good with your finances and, and saving money so that you can make it last in case you run out, in case you run out of work. Um, and in Delaware, uh, it was different because his mom had this giant house and she wanted us to at least live with her for you know the first few months. And that just nothing really materialized for us. I couldn't find like a very good paying job. He couldn't find a very good paying job. The East coast is like stupid expensive because there's just nowhere to build. So, you know, you're buying these old ass houses for, you know, way too much. And I was getting increasingly worse off. Our our drinking was still really bad, except now our drinking, because we knew it was bad, it was hidden. So we didn't want his mom to know how much we were drinking. So we were hiding all the alcohol. So, you know, you're like 30 something living with your mother-in-law and hiding your booze in your closet. It was just not a good situation. (laughs) Um, you know, I hated my job. I hated the winter weather. I couldn't stand all the snow. I missed my mom. I missed ever I missed the South. And so.
0: And I the just, coon asses, you had to have missed the coon asses.
1: I, I even missed the coon ass. I, I finally was like, look, there came a point and I was really, really drunk that night, but there came a point where I was like, I'm leaving with or without you. <laughs> And I started packing a bag and putting medications for Holden in there. I was like, "I'm taking Holden. I'm going to empty the bank account. I'm going. I'm taking off uh, because I was so unhappy. I was so unhappy up there. I felt like it was a, con- uh, like it just was not a good, good place to be. And so I begged him to take us back to Louisiana. And I knew my friends weren't there, and I knew diving wasn't there, and I knew it was not the same. But at least it would be closer to what I knew, and closer to my home, and things like that, and so we stayed in Delaware from October till May, and because of my networking skills, because I'm always able to to network and keep in touch with people, I was able to talk to the husband of a friend of mine who was hiring, and lined up a job for Rob, and then I've always been lucky enough that I've never left a company I couldn't go back to. And so I set up a job for myself with my old company um, doing home health care. Uh, and we, we, we literally just moved back home into jobs. And so we stayed there um, for another year and a half. Uh, and Rob lost his job and he hadn't been very happy there. And it gave us a reason to leave, I guess, like, I I wasn't really doing anything, you know, to, to move forward in my career, and his career was kind of stagnant, too. And my company here in Austin, that I'd worked at since 2001, um, offered me a really great position to come back to. And so we moved to Austin, uh, with just me having a job, and uh, that was really stressful for me. I, I started smoking cigarettes again. I was drinking just way too much. I was having panic attacks. Um, it was a really, really scary time for me because I'm really bad at making decisions and doing things without like a solid plan behind it. I kind of need to know where I'm gonna land if, if, I'm gonna, <laughs> if I'm gonna make a big jump. I need to know what's gonna happen. And this was completely like, God, I hope we, find, I hope this works because we, we need two incomes and we moved with one income, but <laughs> that was just not, it was scary. Um, so that was about 2015 and my husband miraculously got the job that he'd been trying to get while we were in Louisiana, um, with a big, big company called Texas Gas and uh it was very financially beneficial for us it was wonderful insurance fantastic pay it was reliability and i thought it was going to be great i was like this is great i've got my job back i've been promoted you've gotten this job that you can do in austin everything's going to be great but um inevitably that job also went sour and he lost that job. And so then I was back into a position of putting more responsibility. I got a promotion. I asked for a promotion. I asked for a raise, um, and I took on a lot more work on myself in order to support, you know, my family. Um, that's kind of been a, a reoccurring theme in our relationship where I've, I've kind of been the one that takes care of things when they blow up. Um, and so he, he had lost that job and that was kind of a, it kind of seemed like a blessing in disguise. He was not doing well at that job. It was really stressful. He kind of felt like a fish out of water. It was something new that he was doing. Um, and it was, make, our drinking was really not good. Our drinking was bad and his drinking was angry his drinking had turned into angry drinking and he's never really been an angry person. He's loud. He's opinionated. He's a know-it-all, but he's also generous and kind and loving and thoughtful. And so this angry person was new and, um, that person didn't go away. That person, you know, he was mad about the job, then he was mad about being fired, then he was mad about not being able to find a new job. And when he did finally find a new job, he felt so underappreciated and underpaid and mistreated at that job that he was even worse. He was even worse. And so our drinking dynamic changed and um, some of it was pandemic stuff. you know, our, our school Holden at the time was not old enough to be home by himself, but school ended abruptly at spring break. And, um, you know, we were already drinking a lot. Like we would drink, I know we would buy, um, like a six pack, like two, six packs of beer. That's like 9% proof. And we would both drink both of those and be like, okay, I think we need one more. I think we should, go get one more or we would buy you know boxes of wine that have four boxes or four bottles of wine in them and completely clean the bottle i mean we just drank we drank so much
0: yeah so we're going to get into the pandemic next time huh? but i just have to say for the people that don't know a kunas that they, they go down in the bayou they get the beer and they go out and they, they look for some gator yeah <laughs> Ah, they're really hard. They're fun and they're really hard. They're, they got the French accent. And, it's and hard down. to understand them. <laughs> it is.
1: So COVID was a a big, COVID was a big thing. And for anybody that doesn't know, I am an ob nurse and I, I work in healthcare. I'm a supervisor and I am the way that my company works is that we have multiple supervisors who kind of manage different areas of the practice. And we all kind of come together and work together to make everything work copacetically, right? And so I, when COVID hit, I was, that was probably one of the most stressful times in my career that I can ever imagine because I was having meetings every day And the protocols that we were trying to establish, because there were no protocols, were changing every day. And we were, nobody knew what they were doing. We were just just rapid fire trying to come up with solutions. And so I was working tons and I was stressed to the max. And, um, you know, I kind of want to revisit this once I kind of finish my story because A lot of my journey with sobriety has been mental health related. And so I want to kind of circle back to this, but, um, at the time that was just, I was taking on tons. I was taking on so much information from people and trying to come up with protocols. I had absolutely nothing left when I was coming home for anybody. I was so burnt out by work. I was taking work home. I was working off the clock. I was clocking tons of overtime. It was just a nightmare. And on top of that, school ended over spring break in my, in my son's um, fourth grade year, and he didn't go by school. And he wasn't quite old enough to stay home by himself. He did not want to come up to my work on a regular basis because that was just I mean, just imagine sitting in a doctor's office for 11 hours a day is pretty crappy for a nine-year-old. And um, so the solution we came up with was that my husband was gonna switch to second shift and we would kind of have these alternating shifts and he would work in the evenings, I would work in the daytime and that way somebody was always with our son. And the problem with that is that For me, I was already really, really stressed out, and for him, he was incredibly miserable at his job, and when we were working these opposite shifts, we were never there to keep each other in check, so usually with our drinking, somebody was sober enough to say, we need to stop, (laughs) you know? And this time I didn't have him to tell me stop. He didn't have me to tell him stop. And one of the more detrimental things for him is that he was working so late into the night that he had to go buy whatever alcohol he wanted when he got home, kind of in the middle of his shift. And so I think he started drinking at work or maybe just just on the way home. Um, And then I was drinking at home from the second i got home and i really carry a lot of uh guilt about that still and i it's something that i'm working on for sure but my son just he had he didn't have good parents right then um he he, he's seen too many things i think and i'm blessed that We don't, you know, we're not, I'm like, oh, it's a good thing. At least we weren't IV drug users and he saw me shooting up or, you know, something like that. But he's seen me passed out in the bathtub where I won't wake up. He's seen my husband and I get into violent fights He's heard us say incredibly inappropriate, mean words to each other. And during that time, I didn't even have the wherewithal to help him get through school. Or, I mean, I, I had nothing for anybody at that point. And, um, one night, you know, I was trying to hold it together. And I was trying to make things better, but I could see that things were getting worse. I could, you know, it was just, we were hanging on just waiting for the school year to be over so that we could go back to normal with our shifts because I could see that it was getting worse very, very quickly. And I knew that Rob had problems with my drinking and probably worried about what I was like when he wasn't home and I had the same worries about him. And so, I'm a classic do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do person, and I'm a micromanager. I'm OCD, and so um, I had every ounce of advice for him on what he should be doing and nowhere with all of me. Like, I I had no problem with myself. I know I was drinking too much, but I was not really realizing the things that I was doing to my son, the things that I was exposing him to, or even – what I was putting Rob through at the time, because as easy as it is to like, blame your spouse for stuff, the reality is that we all do shitty things. We all, none of us are perfect. And so I can say that certain things trigger me or upset me or bother me or led to me making decisions, but ultimately it's me who did it. And so it's, I I can't blame him for my alcoholism or my behavior. Um, but we really were just hanging on, trying to get to get to the point where, where we could go back to having normal schedules and maybe try to get control of this. And before any of that could happen, um, last May, he was in a, he had a a DWI. He was exiting, um, really close to our house off the highway and dropped a bottle of vodka that he was bringing home between the floorboards and he went to grab it but he was also drinking he's already drunk and he overcorrected his steering and hit both sides of the guardrail on the ramp and totaled his car he didn't hurt himself or anybody else but he completely wrecked the car and he didn't come home that night and that was really scary for my son um i I almost knew for sure he'd been, he'd been arrested. I, I just, if your husband doesn't come home, but he's been arrested a few times, you kind of know that that's why they didn't come home, you know? And so while it had been a good 10 or 11 years since he'd been arrested for anything, um, I still just knew in my gut what was happening. And so I spent the next morning calling all of the jails because Texas is large and there's lots of counties. So I had to call all the different jails until I finally found the one that he was at. And then I had to figure out, you know, how to, I had to pay the bond and go get him out of jail. And I was very open with my son about what had happened, which I think was important, but also something I really didn't want to do. I didn't want to talk to him about that. Um, so. That started my IIS journey for real, because up until that point, I deleted that app. I wasn't using it anymore. It wasn't serving me. And I knew that that was just things had gotten too far.
0: So when did you first find that app?
1: I found it probably a year, maybe a year and a half prior to that when I could recognize that my drinking was bad. Um, I mean, I just kind of knew, like if you can't not drink so that you can be up for your 5 a.m. workout, like that's just a problem. I was going into work hungover, but when COVID first started, I thought I had COVID constantly and really I was just fucking hungover. So, but I can't tell you how many Q-tips I've had shoved up my nose because I thought it was COVID. And it's miraculous how you don't think you have COVID after you get sober. Um, But, yeah. um,
0: So you played around with it in in the beginning a little bit. I
1: did. I did. It was more of just an accountability thing and moderation. I was trying to moderate. And
0: did you get through the moderation at all?
1: No. I never do. I've never, like, I like to drink. Um, it loosens me up. I've I've since realized that I've got social anxiety. And as much as I love being around people, I have always lubricated prior to things just to get me to a a, the mindset. And um and then I would continue to drink and I'm a binge drinker. So as soon as I get to the point of feeling really, really good, I keep drinking and then tank really bad. Yeah. Um, and blackout, you know, I've, I've blacked out more times than I could tell you. It's pretty regular basis.
0: So then you just ended up deleting the app. And then here mm-hmm. you are after your husband gets the DUI. Mm-hmm. You're like, where's that app?
1: Yep. I liked how it worked. I didn't know about the community at the time. Um, I just felt like I needed something to check in with and motivate myself every day. And it's funny because my motivation originally was just to be a good mom for Holden. And I put a picture of him up, but my motivation is now a picture of me passed out on my couch with a bottle of beer propped up against my head because I was drinking and blacked out. And that's where I don't want to be as much as I love my son. And I want to do this for my son. It's not about that. That's a byproduct of my sobriety. And so now it's, a reminder that i don't want to be that person and it's not so much that i want to be a better wife and a better mother i don't want to be that person because i know i will be a better wife and a better mother if i'm not that person so but uh, you kind
0: of this is i just talked to somebody about this uh with polly the other day you started this because kind of for your son though didn't you
1: i did um I think when I was trying to do it for my workouts, it was for me, but I was, it was a half-hearted effort. And then when my husband got his DWI, I was scared that, you know, like it went against, I was just kind of like, we can't do this again. Like we haven't had to deal with this jail shit since we moved to Louisiana and had a baby. Like, I think this is in our past and now it's not, it's in our I mean, it's right in my face again. And I was really upset about being there because that has, that was something I never thought I was going to have to figure out. Like, I just didn't know people. I I know that sounds really snobby, I guess, but I just didn't know people who went to jail. And that was not something that I wanted to be dealing with in my life. And here I dealt with it three or four times already. And thought I was in the clear thought, you know, here he's come out of prison. He's got a goal. He knows what he wants. We've had a family. We've, we've done it. We've beat the odds. And, and so for it to happen again, I was really frustrated with that really frustrated to be there again at 40 going, shit, we're still, we're still just in a bad place. We're still not in a good place.
0: And you're waking up all this time. I'm sure with the drinking, Because I love asking this question. How were you waking up when you were?
1: When I was drinking? Yeah. You know, the
0: the fear or the uh, the being ashamed, all that shit.
1: So I am a creature of habit. Um, So I had a whole routine for my drinking. I either drank white wine or lemon vodka. And I, for the most part, had been drinking so much for so long that I no longer had much of a hangover. And so I would wake up in the mornings, sit in the shower until I sobered up enough. Uh, Sometimes I'd smoke some pot, (laughs) you know? Uh, I have a girlfriend who is always trying to incorporate that into my life. And so, like, I just, that was how I was functioning. I was just functioning constantly kind of sick is how I feel. Did, Did
0: you have any of the, like, Remor- wake up with remorse, shame, guilt, all that stuff?
1: I did. I started to identify that later. Um, later, okay. I was in denial for a really long time about what my drinking was doing. Um, but the more that I've heard other people talk about their drinking and the more that I've heard uh, kind of research things, I realize now that I had the anxiety. I had this... Uh, it's called imposter syndrome, and I still have it. But I felt in constant fear that I was going to be found out at work and fired for being an alcoholic, that they were going to realize that I was barely sober by the time I got to work, you know, and my work was suffering. And every, you know, I went from being like this star employee who's handed more responsibility than I probably should have and everything was suffering. Everything was suffering. My home life was suffering. My work life was suffering. Everything was. Um,
0: And this was the driving point.
1: This Uh, was the driving point because I, you know, it doesn't take too many slaps to my hand for me to learn a lesson. I don't, I may like tempt fate and do things that I know I shouldn't be doing, but the second somebody like it's like that to me. I'm like, oh no, never mind. I didn't like that. That didn't feel good. So my husband getting arrested did not feel good. And I wanted, I kind of had this mindset, well, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get sober. Like he's he's telling me he's an alcoholic. He's telling me he's drinking and driving. He's ready. I'm ready. Let's do this. And we both downloaded the app. We both started tracking, we both started supporting each other. And we did a good, like 30, 45 days together without drinking. And we would talk about, you know, the benefits and things like that. But inevitably, you know, there's, there's resets. You hit a day where you're just like, I deserve to drink. I don't care about the 30 days. I don't care about the 15 days. I don't, I deserve a drink for today. And so even after the, the DWI and all of that, Drinking still kept infiltrating my sobriety efforts, and at this point, I started making some good connections. I had not originally used the community part, and I'll be real honest um, when I first got on there, I thought every I thought it was just a dating site for a bunch of drunks. <laughs> I was like, this is just a bunch of people. <laughs> trying to get laid and what what I and what it was was the outpouring of support and love from these people and me not being able to accept that as something real that's what that was and I think Rags knows this but Rags was suspicious numero uno because she loves so big and so hard I thought there's no way this woman is real. There's just no way. She wants a boyfriend. <laughs> 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 and you know who is one of my best friends now? Rags.
0: She's awesome, isn't she?
1: She. I talk to her every day almost. We talk on the phone. Um, I was really proud to hear her podcast because some of the things that she spoke about were things that we broke open talking to each other. And so, um, just like she does that, she does that for me too. Um, and so when I started getting into the community and I realized that even if, even if people were fake, it, there was still some positives to it. And so even though I kept relapsing, I would go, you know, anywhere between 15 and 30 days. And I did that for about five months. Um, and I was open about it and it was hard that was a hard thing for me. I started to feel accountability to these people. I didn't have the accountability here at home. My husband kept drinking and I didn't feel like I could talk about it. And so all of my accountability was through the people that I was forming relationships with here. And I had a big relapse in August. And I, it was one of those relapses. I don't know if you've ever had one where you can feel it coming. Like, you you know, you, you're you're almost like in the back of your head, like creating a, a plan because you know you're pro- probably going to relapse. Yeah. And so we were planning a family trip last August to go down to my family's lake house and go boating and, you know, all of this fun stuff. my my mom's family, the big drinkers, and I just, I I knew going into it that I was going to want to drink, probably gonna drink, and I kind of went there with a half-assed plan on how I was not going to drink. That was the first time I'd ever even thought about planning, and I failed miserably. I I failed miserably.
0: But you know what, Um, Beck, those aren't, Failures, those are learning experiences, really.
1: They are. I've, I've learned that now. But that was just a really memorable relapse for me because. But you know,
0: you know the difference. You know that in the back of your mind, you were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to yeah.
1: do this. Yeah. But, I, oh, I brought, I. I yeah, I, I knew I was going to do it. Yeah. And, and I, I tried. I tried not to. I reached out to my sober friends. I was like, I don't know what to do. I, there's a beer in every fridge I look at. There's there's all these, I don't know what to do. Everybody's drunk. <laughs> like I just didn't know what to do. And so, and my husband was drinking and then that was another big compromise or I mean, it compromised my sobriety there And and it's not his fault. And so I really try not to blame everything on him. It's just that we've been together for so long and we've suffered through so many of the same addictions and problems that I can't help but take him along with my stories, you know. Absolutely. Um, and so, in this particular situation, we were drinking, and his his drinking personality was intolerable to me. Um, I was I felt so on edge and uncomfortable and upset with things he was saying and acting. He was
0: angry, right? Like he was
1: said. he was angry. Well, he wasn't as angry this time, but he was just he was just driving me crazy. And he was driving everyone around us crazy. And that's just a side of his personality. He's one of those people that you kind of have to just know what you're getting with him when when you get him. And to know him is to love him. But you may also really hate him when you meet him. And, <laughs> and so he's not for everybody. And and he's a know-it-all. And he was drinking and then he would get more know-it-all. And it was. It was, it was just driving me insane. I couldn't take it. And so I just started drinking like that. I just, I I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to get drunk and do this. And so I got really drunk and it was a horrible hangover the next day. And I was uh, reeling in remorse because I knew I, I think I'd gotten like 45 or 50 days down and I was going to have to come clean. At this point I had a solid, group of friends that I'd been talking to one-on-one here, and I was going to have to admit to them. And it was horrible. I It was horrible. And Rags still uh, remembers this, but I had taken my mom with me um, the next morning and just fell apart in the car telling her how broken I feel. You know, I just feel broken. I can't stay sober. I can't control my emotions. I can't make heads or tails of my marriage. I can't, there's so many things that I just feel are out of control and I have no control over them. And I didn't know what to do. And just as we were driving down this windy road, um, I almost hit this big old turtle in the road. (laughs) And so I pulled over and I'm, I'm not a, a a weenie girl. And so I went and I picked up this giant turtle and uh, put it in the mud where it wouldn't die. And I was like, this is my turtle. This is, this is my sign. This is like that slow and steady. Like I just have to keep trying. I, I, this is not a fast process. And I'm a very like rapid expectation, rapid reactor type person. So when things don't happen rapidly for me, I get, I get, uh, impatient or bored. And so sobriety is not fast. (laughs) So, I took this turtle and this turtle has been kind of like this, this uh, sobriety mantra for me that I just need to do things slowly um, and with purpose. So after that August um, relapse, I did drink a couple of more times. Um, I did feel like my drinking was better controlled, but it was still drinking. And there was a pivotal moment. I don't even really remember what happened. I just decided I was not going to drink anymore. I had been trying to stop drinking. I just decided I was going to start again. I was going to tell everybody that I'd been drinking because I'd been hiding it again. And um, and I did. And that was mid-October. It was October 18th. And that was the last time I drank. And um, soon after that, in September, they started a WhatsApp group and originally there was, um, it was not the zoom group. It was several of us rags is part of it. Um, a, cu- a couple other people that you would notice it's about nine people. And I have been with them this whole time. And some of them just hit their one year mark. Cause we were all kind of starting in may. So we've all kind of started at the same time. And so a lot of them just hit their one year mark. And then, um, some of us haven't, but, it's still probably been the most reliable support system that I've had this entire time because those relationships haven't changed. They've just stayed a constant and have just gotten deeper and stronger and and better. And now like, I know I'm gonna meet Tracy um, or Rad. I know I'm gonna meet Doc at some point. I know that I would like to meet um, I'm having a hard time remembering everybody's aliases, but there are people that I know I'm going to meet. There are people in the United States who have the capability of meeting and I'm going to, because these people have become incredibly important to me. Um, I dove into my recovery on October 18th. And I will say that uh, some of the things that were instrumental in getting me sober was that uh chef, 56 reached out to me. And I think he has a very keen eye for people who are on the right recovery path. You know, he, he's, he's good at reaching the people who are ready to start making changes. I think not everybody is, but he's, he's really good at IDing those people.
0: And he's just exceptional. Um, Look, I don't get along with a lot of men. Chef 56 is one of them and we have totally different opposite way we we'll view life. And I, I respect him and I get along with them and I love his heart, how he, like he reaches out to you. So I just want to give chef 56 a, a shout out.
1: He is, he was, he really was probably one of the first people he found. I had joined the IAS uh, Facebook group. I was really just kind of joining everything at that point point and listening to the podcasts and listening to reading books and you know just trying to do it all i had started setting boundaries i'd learned about boundaries um since my husband was not going to stop drinking i had to start laying out some ground rules um and so if he was going to drink i wasn't going to be around him and i was going to take our son out of the the situation as well I wanted him to feel alone with his drinking and realize that it was causing a wedge in our relationship. Um, Because at this point we had had the same amount of time to really focus. And I feel like he had the biggest slap on the wrist and I was really trying and I felt very sabotaged by him. And I, had to have a couple conversations with him about that because I, I did keep drinking and I kept slipping and I had to keep telling people, well, I, I have to start over again. And then I would decide to be sober and he would come home with my favorite bottle of wine and pour me a glass. And there were so many times that I would pick up that glass and take it maybe upstairs with me and then look at it and be like, I don't. I don't want to drink that. But in those early stages, that's like the last thing you really need to be doing is holding alcohol in your hand and saying no to it. Like that's just hard. And in previous times when I had tried to stop drinking or maybe slow down my drinking, I just made, it's kind of like a diet (laughs) to me. Like you don't buy it. If you don't buy it, you don't have it there to eat. If you don't buy it, you don't have it there to drink. So I just would make conscious efforts to not buy it so that it wasn't there. And then I'm less likely to leave my house and go get it, you know, but when he's buying it and it's there <laughs> and I've had a really shitty day at work or, you know, whatever I, I want to drink. I, at this point had not realized what my coping mess. I, I had not really delved into my brain at this point. He's not it just was
0: buying it. He's putting it in your hand, in my
1: hand, in my yeah. hand. And I was getting such a negative connotation with that. And things were deteriorating really rapidly in my marriage at that point. Um, I was very repulsed by his presence because I couldn't get sober around him. And I just felt so alone. I felt so unsupportive. And I really submerged myself into this. And I, I see a lot of people talk about substituting addictions and worrying about uh, the app and these people being a substitute for an addiction. I really struggle to agree with that concept. I, I understand it. I understand it. But unless it's causing a true problem in your life, I don't understand why it's a problem because this is such a supportive positive thing to be doing and i feel like sobriety is one of those things that you have to be selfish you have to be selfish and most of us don't know how to be selfish i mean we were selfish in our drinking because we were drunk and we were nothing for anybody else but if you want to recover for it from it you have to be selfish And so in November I was falling apart. I was really trying to be sober. I felt sabotaged at home. I, uh, had been on anxiety medications for a couple of years, uh, after Rob had lost his first job in Austin. And I didn't feel like that was an appropriate medication. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. And I went to the doctor that I work with, but also she's my doctor. And I went and talked to her and I just was falling apart. I was like, I feel like uh, I'm all about visual visuals to describe things. But you know how uh, lava cools and it gets a crust, a black crust, but you still have hot lava spewing underneath and it breaks out and it cracks and it threatens to spew? That's how I felt. Like I had this crust and I was... I, I talk about uh, masks, I have, I wear masks. Um, I had this crust of holding it together, but underneath I was about to just explode and I pulled the do- my doctor into a room and I just sobbed and I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I the medicines aren't enough. I'm sober, but that's not enough. I feel like I'm going to get a divorce all the time. I don't know what to do. And she said, I really think you need to see somebody like I can throw antidepressants at you, but I'm an OBGYN and I don't know what I'm doing. I really think you should probably see a professional and here's, you know, a place to start. And so I called this place and it was kind of an all in one place where they've got a psychologist who manages medications. They've got therapists, they've got counselors, they've got, they've just got everything all under one roof. And I called them and I said, I need, I I need my medications adjusted. I have anxiety and depression and I need somebody to talk to and I need somebody like right away. And so I got teamed up with, um, he's a mental health nurse practitioner, but he can prescribe my medications and he can act as my therapist. So I started seeing him and that is still a big work in progress. I am not very far with that, but Um, between doing the Zooms that Rick convinced me to do and confiding in my small groups and realizing that I hold myself to too high of expectations. Um, So I've had to kind of moderate how much activity I have in the app because sometimes the app becomes overwhelming. I feel guilty that I'm not responding to enough people or filling people in with my life enough. And, you know, I really have to rationalize all that. And it's just been like this big work in progress. And when I started my therapy, I was pretty sure I wanted to get a divorce. Um, and that was a really hard thing because I come from divorced parents. My husband comes from divorced parents. We waited until we were 28 and 30 before we got married because we didn't want to get a divorce. Um, not putting our child through divorce is really important to us, but I didn't, I couldn't see how I could get better without it. Like I just didn't see like that was gonna happen.
0: So let, let but, me just stop real quick. You're um you got in here, you quit drinking. Basically, in the beginning you thought all you needed to do was quit drinking, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And now you're finding out that it's um it's way more way more than not drinking.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's so many things. It's my upbringing. It's, um, the relationships I had with my parents, it's self-esteem issues that I didn't realize I grew up having because I'm like when I, I, I cannot stress enough how I have masked myself my entire life. And that's a new concept for me. So I talk about it a lot more, but, um, you know, through my therapy, I was able to, uh, realize that I have anxiety and depression and get appropriately treated for that. Um, and then as we started to go further into my therapy, I realized that I think I have ADHD and we started talking about that. My brother has ADHD, um, and it is hereditary so um, we kind of dove into that and i think the reason it was missed for me is because there's a type that a lot of women have called inattentive adhd which is not a hyperactive form usually so people with that type of adhd they talk a lot they have a hard time putting their words together Uh, sometimes they're socially awkward like all these things that are me like i'm like that's me Um, and I think that it's something that I've been coping with my whole life and making do, you know, like I can make good grades, but it was a massive expense to me to make the good grades that I was supposed to have. And if I didn't make the good grades, I got belittled by my dad. So like, obviously I don't want to be belittled. So I just tried my ass off until I, you know, and just faked it basically faked being normal, faked being a normal neurodivergent, non-neurodivergent person. And so, um, I feel like the past six months have just been completely groundbreaking. I spent several months building up to, uh, deciding I wanted a divorce. And in March, I wrote my husband a letter that said that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, keep doing this with his drinking and his I mean, he, he lost his job again (laughs) and, um, was drinking. And the only thing convenient about him not working was that he was homeschooling our son, except that that wasn't getting done very well. And I was just, I just kind of hit this point where I'm like, I'm doing so much work. I'm doing so much work. And we started at the same time and you're right where you used to be. And I can't, I feel like I can't move forward. And so I wrote them this letter and I just said, I think, I think I want to divorce. I think I, I don't want to do this anymore. And, um, he did not expect that he did not think that that was coming because I've never been the type of woman that throws that out as an idle threat. You know, I know women who are like, don't make me mad or I'll divorce you. I've, Like, no, that's not a joke for me. If I'm going to tell you I want a divorce, I really want a divorce.
0: He knew you were serious.
1: He knew I was serious. Um, And I had a list of things that I just didn't feel were going to be acceptable anymore in order to, you know. So um, we have been kind of going I've still been really focusing on my sobriety and my mental health and he's still drinking um he did get into counseling which was one of the things I asked him to do and he did cut down on his drinking substantially but he's still kind of I I know that he has a problem with alcohol so when he's trying to moderate I know it's just inevitable that he's gonna it's gonna worsen at some point like you can moderate for so long but it's just not a manageable thing
0: yeah then you got to catch up one day
1: yeah and he still hides it you know and I there's that excuse why I just don't want you to see it I don't want it to bother you but it doesn't bother me to see him drinking his personality bothers me when he's drinking um so I wish that that wasn't there I think that he gets in the way of himself but um kind of back to the whole mental health thing. Um, so that's been just huge and eye-opening. And, and I feel like when I, I still try to go to all the Zooms um, at least once or twice a week. And when I go, um, I feel like a lot of times there's some purpose for going. Like I, the topic always seems to speak to me and be just what I need that, that day, you know? And so, like, I went to Zoom this past weekend, and we were talking about changes. And one of the things that, like, I have been noticing is that there are changes in my relationships. Um, Now that I'm sober and pretty comfortable being sober, um, I have to evaluate these relationships that I have with people. And some of them are not have nothing to do with alcoholism. So, you know, like we were talking about with the mental health thing. I'm realizing some really not so great things with how I was raised and some of the relationships that I had with my mom and my dad and my brother. And I've had to cut like some pretty big people out of my life as a result. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was a really cool dad growing up and turned into a really toxic person. And I don't speak to him anymore. And my brother's pretty toxic. So I don't speak to him anymore. And that leaves me with, um, my mom and my adopted brother. And my mom is very supportive until I don't do something that she wants. So she's very like, you can tell me everything until I hurt her feelings because I make a decision that's for me. And then she's she takes it out on me. So like just recently um, I was struggling. I've been really struggling with my social anxiety and um, just depression. Like I've just been struggling. It makes me not want to do anything. And um, I, we had made some very loose plans, my mom and I, and when push came to shove, nothing had really been set up and I didn't want to do what we had talked about doing. And so I threw out an alternative and she didn't take me up on it. And then later told me that um, she really didn't like how I was acting that I needed to oh, I don't know what she wants me to own because I'm'm pretty, I'm pretty much owning my depression and my alcoholism, but she wanted me to own something. And um, she was really upset with me that I wasn't gonna like go out of my way for her. but the reality was that I was not in a good place mentally. and I threw out a suggestion um, that would be a good alternative and she didn't take me up on that. She just wanted to be upset about me not doing what she wanted me to do. And she used my mental health as ammunition. She told me that she, you know, that she was able to deal with her life and her divorce and her, you know, all of her problems without taking handfuls of pills and uh, that she thought I should be hospitalized. <laughs> so, um, you know, she's a great support system and she loves me. And then she says things like that where I'm like, okay, we're, we're done for a little bit.
0: One step forward, a couple steps back right there, huh?
1: It is. And it
0: hurts. And it hurts.
1: It hurts. And I wrote her a very thoughtful letter. She still hasn't responded to me, but I wrote her a really thoughtful letter, just kind of pinpointing how intentionally hurtful I thought that she was being. And then I went to Zoom and um, I got to talk about that. And I got to get a lot of female feedback and learn some things about codependency and stuff like that. So I feel like, um, I feel like I don't owe all of these old friendships and relationships as much as I feel like I've always thought I did. I feel I'm a people pleaser to the extent of hurting myself. You know, I push myself further than I should to make other people happy or to live up to other people's expectations. It's a I don't know if you can call that a personality flaw or not, but I need, I'm really trying to recognize that type of thing right now. So, um, I posted about being invited to a party this past weekend. And last night I got all ready to go. And then I didn't go because it was costing my mental health too much. I wanted to, but I was also really, really anxious and there was going to be drinking and I didn't want to be triggered. And while I don't feel very triggered by alcohol these days, even when it's around me, I felt like that was going to be a triggering situation. And so I had to pass on it. And And that bummed me out. That's been something I've been struggling with all weekend, actually, because I, I let people down. They wanted but, you there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was it was very flattering that I was invited in the first place. It was very kind of intimate and um you know, I felt honored to be included. It was with physicians that I work with who respect me enough to invite me to a party for physicians, you know, and so um I felt flattered to be invited and I wanted to go, but then I my social anxiety got a hold of me and my go-to for things like that would be to drink beforehand and then drink plenty while I was there. And I knew that the wine was going to be there and the temptation was going to be there. And so I just didn't go.
0: You know, it sounds a lot like you, you've transitioned from sobriety into recovery, too. So you're just you're a lot more aware, it seems like, <laughs> of the situations that you, you can put yourself into that may be dangerous.
1: I've definitely learned a lot about myself more than I've ever, more than I ever have this, the therapy that I'm doing now is more productive than any therapy I've ever done. And I've gone to therapy a couple of times, um, but it wasn't for the right reasons, you know, and I didn't know how to get to the root of the problem. And now I feel like I'm actually getting to the root of the problem. Um, and I'm, a lot of that ties into just me, just the way that my brain works, the way that I handle things, the types of relationships that I've had with people. Um, some of it has to do with things that I haven't dealt with yet. Like my relationship with my dad, it really sucks that I don't talk to him. You know, I wasn't really raised to not be in touch with my family. I always kind of pictured my family as, you know, like the barbecues and my dad who would adore my child and, um, you know, all of that. And I I don't have that at all. And that's that's hard sometimes.
0: Yeah, that's very difficult. Absolutely.
1: I spent a lot of my drunk, my drunk time telling people how disappointed I was in them.
0: How oh, did you?
1: I, I haven't talked to my dad since the last time I got drunk and texted him that I never wanted to speak to him again.
0: <laughs> so Well, here's the good thing. Cool thing about sobriety. Becky, is you just don't know the gifts that sobriety is going to give you because there's gifts that just keep on giving. I'm, I'm almost a year into this now and I'm just like blown away. Uh, all the things that are healing in my life. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what's going to be right around the corner with sobriety. And I was just telling somebody the other day, don't make any crazy changes yet because you don't know what sobriety is going to bring you. So let's, let's go into that. I mean, you're busting your ass, you're digging in, but life has got to be a lot better, right?
1: Life is better. Um, Boundaries. I will say boundaries, 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 boundaries. That was the first thing that really, really resonated with me and it's a work in progress because I don't think I've ever had boundaries, um, at least not good ones. And so I have been doing a lot of different things that kind of helped me with that. Um, you know, the telling my mom no was establishing a boundary. I don't
0: And she's probably not used to that then, is she?
1: She's not. She's not. I'm her daughter. I'm her oldest daughter. I'm the one that she expects to take care of her when she gets older. And the compromising side to that is that my grandmother just died in November and she's the oldest daughter and she took care of her mother. So I'm sure some of that is her just going, well, are you going to be there for me when it's my turn? And I'm sure I will. But the problem with addiction and recovery is that it's not linear. And, I can't tell you how long this is going to take. I can't tell you what it's going to look like until I'm in the thick of it. And I don't owe you anything, you know, like part of her complaint was that if I would just tell her everything, then she could at least understand why I am the way way I am. And I'm like, I don't have to tell you everything about my life, everything that's stressing me out in my life. To be able to say I need this boundary, and that I need to be able to say no to you, and it be okay. Um, you know, I don't feel like I need to tell her if I you know, like, hey mom, today I'm really pissed off because I have five thousand dollars in dental care that I need to do. Or you know, right. like, like that's that's none of your business. My life is sometimes just shitty, and it affects my mood. And it, and and I I'm really focused on being selfish and taking care of myself. And when I'm not being selfish, I'm putting it back into my son and my husband, because even then, even there, I'm not ready to give up, you know, like I, my husband did get into therapy and he did really slow his drinking down. And even my therapist was like, well, you've got to look at it for what it is. And if, if it's, you know, the things that had you wanting to get a divorce were like this horrible, abusive, angry personality. And if that's not there... And he's not tanked every night. And, you know, you kind of have to choose your battles. And in a perfect world, I'd say, please just don't drink anymore. But that may not be his journey. Or maybe he's just not there yet. And I have to accept that. And and um, I have to show him the patience and the encouragement that I show people in the app. Because, Absolutely. I'm glad I, you said that. Yeah. And I didn't teach myself that. Doc did. <laughs> He asked me pointedly once, why do you not give him the same courtesy that you give these other people? And my answer at the time was because he wasn't showing up because he wasn't trying, you know, Mm -hmm. and in saying that it was me going, he's not using the app. He's not using the community. He's not going to the zooms. Therefore he's not trying. The reality is that he's trying in a different way. And we have two different ways of doing things i don't necessarily trust his process but it's his process it's not mine and i can't micromanage two people's sobriety i have to micromanage mine and then i have to evaluate our relationship and and what that looks like and what i'm willing to live with because again you don't marry people because they're perfect either you know nobody's perfect right it's all about what you can tolerate and you know some things you can, some t- you know. Right now, I'm tolerating
0: things. Well, it's also new discoveries. Um, mm-hmm. My wife has had to learn how to get to know me again. I mean, mm-hmm. I was sober nine years, then I drank for nine years. Now I'm sober again, and I've been a different person the whole each time. And she's like well, who's this guy, (laughs) you know?
1: And that's hard. That's hard because if you've known, like I've known my husband for twenty five, twenty three 23 years, something like that. Like I met him when I was 17. Um, And that's a catch 22 in itself because if you get with somebody that young, you don't have a lot of time as an adult where you're thinking for yourself. Like, I've never been thinking for myself the whole time I've been with him. It's always been him and I. And so, and, you know, kind of reeling from my parents' divorce and then getting into this relationship with him and then us just literally rarely separating. You know, I think that dysfunction has just incorporated its way into our relationship just naturally because you don't know any better, you know? And so there was a really intolerant side where I was drawing a line in the sand going, I don't have tolerance for this anymore. So you either do it or don't. And if you don't, then I'm out. And I had a, a steadfast timeline and a plan and I was ready to go. And he's made some changes and now I'm not ready to go. I'm not happy 100%, but I'm not ready to go. I'm ready to see what happens.
0: That's great. Um, that's fantastic. Fantastic.
1: So it's given me tolerance. It, it, I've learned to step back and kind of watch things. Um, I have really gotten into self-care and recognizing what self-care is because I've never taken care of myself ever. It's, I've always put other people first. And that's a problem with my career because I get burnt out with putting other people first at work. And then I come home and I have nothing left to give people sometimes. Um, creating those boundaries Um, and I try not to harp on it too much. You know how we love to talk about our sobriety. We love to tell our stories, our horrible drunken stories. We love to talk about ourselves. Alcoholics love to talk about themselves. Well, now I want to talk about my ADHD all the time (laughs) because I think it goes hand in hand with so many things that led me down the alcoholic coping mechanism trail. Um, i found that there's something called rejection sensitivity dysor- dysmorphia or uh, dysphoria. And uh, that is something that I really struggle with that I didn't know was a thing. And basically what it means is that you don't handle emotions that great. You know, your emotions are bigger than they should be sadder, stronger, less tolerable than they should be. And so I've, you know, I've now discovered that I've got all these other things that I've got to work on and figure out how to manage without alcohol. And that's hard. That's really hard. I, um, struggle less with the desire to drink these days and more with the desire to, just shut it off, to shut it all off. My brain used to be so loud. Um, and that was the ADHD. I, you know, I take my medication now and suddenly I realized that my brain is not loud. And that's not a normal thing to have a loud brain all the time. Um, I, you know, I would carry on like five conversations at once in my head. <laughs> Just, yeah, you know, that's constantly. It's, it's hard. Like I'm, it, I just, and trying to balance life and trying to stay organized when you've got 10 billion things going on in your brain all at once and trying to stay focused and trying to, you know, like my notes here help. These are all just tools. I'm, I'm constantly finding tools for myself. Um, it's so you're, your routine. new
0: discovery, you're like finding out that with the ADHD and finding all these different things, it's like a new awareness. And it's kind of exciting, isn't it? To know that, hey, I can fix this shit.
1: It is. I'm very aware of trying not to abuse that. For I don't know if that's a hang-up of mine that I don't need to have. Because like I said, I think I have hang-ups that I don't necessarily need. But uh, that's one of the things that I've been trying to navigate. Because There are times where I feel like I'm being really, really selfish in order to take care of myself. And I don't know if I'm crossing the line. You know, maybe I'm taking advantage. My husband has said a couple of times that I now just blame things on my ADHD. And I do, but it's because I'm making the connections. It's not because I'm looking for an excuse. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not saying, well, you can't get mad at me because this is just my ADHD. I'm going, I know, I'm sorry. I, this is my ADHD. I'm trying to work on it. I'm trying to not leave empty bottles out on the counter. And I'm trying not to forget 10 things, you know, at HGV and I'm, you know, I'm trying and he's, he's also doing a really good job of trying with me. It's, it's, it's work on both of our parts. And I think we both have like a a good end goal. It's just, we're doing things differently. And I'm, am a control freak. I, I, I do kind of have like this idea in my head on how things are supposed to be. And when he doesn't do them my way, it it irritates me. So like, I, I have to step back and really like evaluate what I'm feeling now um, and make sure that my, my feelings are accurate for the situation that they're appropriate. Um, I can't just blow my top because somebody used the last of the ketchup, you know? Right. um, And that's hard sometimes, but I don't want to be an angry person. That's another thing that my husband told me was that I'm an angry person. I don't see myself as an angry person, but when I'm coming home completely burnt out by other people because of my job, And then I come home to things that frustrate me. I don't know how else to be, but angry. It's like, I don't have any more patience anymore. So.
0: um, Well, you're juggling a lot. You're juggling sobriety. You're juggling recovery. You're learning about yourself, right? Um, He's getting to know you. You're both getting to know each other. You're both trying to find a way out of this fucking trap you ended up in, Mm -hmm. you know, and it takes a lot of work it's digging in and it's just not always comfortable back. It's just not comfortable.
1: It really isn't. And I will say at least with my husband, he's such a caring person, you know, he's got these sides of him that I really hate. I really hate them, (laughs) you know, um, I've learned that with my ADHD, I get overstimulated really easily, and um, he's very loud and animated, and sometimes that's really, really hard for me to be around. But that's just who he is, um, and so it's just like this constant. I don't know. We're just we're just navigating.
0: <laughs> you're navigating, and you're going we're to just navigating, to balance, right? Balance. And, if you, and you just don't. But drink. he's
1: understanding. That's He's cool. So you're, you're not,
0: finding some kind of, uh, medium.
1: Yes. I wish that he would use the community. I really do. He loves to talk to people. He loves to psychoanalyze things and he keeps just saying, it's not for me. It's not for me. And I get that. I get that. You know, AA is not for everybody. Uh, Zooms aren't for everybody. Like I get that. You don't have, there's no one way to do it, but I just wish he would find some support somewhere because he's social. I think he would really enjoy it, but he just is not ready for it.
0: Yeah. And it's gotta be on his time. Look at my, when I first found the app, right. I was like, so excited that I found this community where I'm getting sober and you know, my wife is in recovery too. I'm like, come on, man, let's do this together. And she's like, I don't want to, I really don't want to be a part of that. I've got, I'm doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. And look, it's taken a year and for all, you know, and she's just now to get to the point where, you know what, I, I think I want to check this out. And she just signed back up again and came into the community again. And she's not like really into it like I am, but it's taken like a year for her just to be comfortable to start hanging around people and getting to know everybody. So who knows? I mean, sobriety brings these gifts. You just got to be that turtle, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And I'm trying to lead by example. And I think that I kind of am, you know, Um, I have to say the incredibly intoxicated, angry, mean guy who would throw a glass of beer at me is not who I'm married to, but he was for a short period of time and he's not there anymore. Um, Now I'm just more annoyed when he gets drunk. Like I just, and drunk people in general annoy me now. So it's not even just him. I just am like, you're starting to slur. You're talking about things I could care less about. You can't stay on your story. I just, could you just leave me alone and let me watch my show?
0: <laughs> oh, right, and I get it. I get it.
1: <laughs> like I just—it's not even that I'm like triggered or that he's being an asshole and I don't want to be around him. I'm just like I don't. You're stupid now. I don't. I don't so what are you? Hear.
0: What are you excited about? Now? What am
1: I excited about? Yeah. I am excited about all this personal growth. I am excited about all of these people that I've met. I wish that I could find some local people. But maybe having these distant friendships, these long distance friendships where we just text each other are perfect right now as well, you know, because there's no, there's no sense of obligation to, you know, too much. Uh, One of the things that I like is that I can be thinking about something and send that thought to my friend and they don't have to respond immediately. They can respond to me the next day. But, yes but 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 we can keep continue having these conversations and support. and so that really excites me to know that I'm developing this really safe, healthy friend, healthy friendships basically. Yeah. Well, I have to say that when it comes to my sobriety, I'm really happy with where it's at. When I uh, find myself struggling, with emotions to drink, I can recognize them now as um, a coping mechanism that my brain just knows, you know, like something's stressful. And that's when I really start going, well, you could go, you could go buy some wine and nobody would know. You could go drink this and nobody would know. Um, You could go take this medicine. Nobody will know. And my brain is so sneaky. Did that
0: happen this weekend?
1: Um. So it didn't happen this weekend. And I'll tell you what happened this weekend. I was supposed to go to this party this weekend and I was excited about it and everything. Um, And the closer we got to it, the less comfortable I felt. And I should have been comfortable. It was a retirement party for a doctor that I've known for 21 years. And uh, it was being hosted by another doctor that I've known for just as long everybody that was going to be there. I've known almost my entire career and they were either going to be physicians that I've worked with. And then there was going to be a couple of people who had just, you know, been, maybe they were some other type of, you know, they were a supervisor or something like that. And and I've known them forever. And I was supposed to go last night and I was excited about it. I was excited that I had been invited. It was a small guest list and I felt, you know, flattered. Um, and I didn't go. I got really close to going. I had, I did my makeup. I did, you know, like I had everything going and I just couldn't force myself to go. And part of that was because I knew about the drinking that was going to be there. So I know that I'm still triggered by that stuff. And there's a lot to recover from there. Um, I went to, uh, a hangout with some moms, And I was really nervous about it, but I was able to bring in a beer with me and nobody was the wiser, nobody cared. But this was not one of those situations. This was gonna be catered and wine pairing and just (laughs) all of the things. And I didn't know how, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't, and I didn't wanna do it. You know, when push came to shove, it was causing more harm to my anxiety than going. And so I just didn't go. Um, And that is just one example of the things that I'm doing differently this time around. And it is. So you really, you
0: really traveled over this deeply.
1: I, I do. Well, I, I, I analyze everything and to, to a fault, to a fault. I worry about what people think about me. I worry, I think worst case scenario, like. (laughs) like all of these things that happen in my brain. um, Now that alcohol is not there to mask any of it, I have to recognize it and kind of figure out what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's acceptable and how I go about it. So, you know, putting myself in a situation where I had good control over my drinking and it was small and I knew the people and and even then I was worried, but I did it and I did it well. This was a different one and I didn't I was nervous. I was do, nervous. Do
0: any of these people know that um your about so your yeah.
1: Most of them do. Most of them do, to be honest. Um and later today I will explain that I didn't go because because of this and I feel like they will understand. You know, that's the beauty of working with a bunch of women doctors is that um I can tell them that type of stuff. There's, there's and, some benefits they'll get that. It. Mm-hmm. They want what's best for me. So I know, but you know, I still felt shitty. I still felt like I should have gone. I should have, you know, and that just goes into expectations that we have for ourselves and having to do draw boundaries out. And that was just another boundary that I drew out. And I can't- Those two just kind of like clashed,
0: huh? You have it these does. expectations of yourself and boom, you got this boundary and it ran right up into a wall.
1: It does. It does. And I felt terrible about it. And then I beat myself up about it. I mean, there is so much going on in my brain at all times. Um, and I'm getting better at recognizing what should be paid attention to and what shouldn't be a paid, paid attention to, because some of, some of the things that are in my brain are just irrational. Um, and going back to some of our one-on-one friendships, a lot of times that's like journaling for me. I just, put it all out there to somebody who does know me and um, I can get feedback and not really worry about um, the con. It allows me to process things, you know?
0: And that's kind of a beauty that IAS with me, because here I was for all these, the last three years of my drinking, I could not friggin' stop. I couldn't make it home from work, from work to home without getting my beer. And then if I did, It was just only a a matter of minutes before I went and got more or an hour or so. But when I got to IES and I started being able to put this shit down in a text, things that I was going through, it's like I dumped and it got me over those humps. And now you've kind of gone from IAS. you still use that a little bit, you focus, you got more of these one-on-ones that you use more, don't you?
1: I do. And I still get on the app every single day. I pledge every single day and I record how my day went every single day. I make notes uh, for myself when things are significant and worth mentioning. Um, and when I feel like I've been too absent from the app, I post. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we've talked about it, but sometimes it's a happy post and sometimes it's a not happy post. Sometimes I'm working through really awful feelings. Um, and I just need to put it out there, but the constant presence in my life are those close connections and those close friendships that I've made. Um, and I'm, and those are even growing, you know, they I've, I connected with, um, you know, are really connected with two people and I'm still looking for good connections. And I still want more sober friends. I wish I could meet more people here in Austin because I would love to have more sober friends who want to talk about sobriety and who want to talk about mental health and want to talk about family and working. And I would just love to have somebody who I have something in common with. Um, I do have friends that know I have not been um, secretive about my sobriety at all.
0: So you Um, own it?
1: I own it. I own it. I still think people don't think I was an alcoholic. I have a lot of people who maybe think I slowed down drinking, but don't truly think I had alcoholism. I'm 100% positive I'm an alcoholic.
0: Well, they weren't sleeping with you in the bathtub, were they?
1: (laughs) They weren't, yeah. They didn't have to fix the toilet when I fell out of the bathtub. And <laughs> oh, right, right. they didn't see the, like, I don't know how people, some people didn't realize what was going on. I hurt myself so frequently when I was drinking. It was ridiculous. Like, I was.
0: <laughs> I was just talking to a, a co worker on my one that I trust this morning. And um, the last three years, I mean, I was drinking nine years and they didn't even know it. The last three years, I was um in blackouts every day. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. And I think this is like that's the we're the, the we're the unseen. Well before when I was a convict, everybody knew it, right? He can't get his life straight. Then these last nine years when I was um I was a functional, drunk and nobody friggin' knew it that were right around me close and of course it's embarrassing so the kids aren't saying anything my wife's not saying anything and it's like here you are you're a professional Beck everything looks good on the outside the house is nice your probably yard's real nice everything really looks good but behind those walls I mean alcohol is just destroying you
1: It does. And it starts to, it starts to break down the home life too. Um, you know, the avoidance of, of doing things with other people, the avoidance of taking care of your home, you know, I do think that for all intents and purposes, my life up until about a year ago looked picture perfect. I mean, I have a husband who is, you know, like he's not a chauvinistic guy. He cooks, he cleans, he child rears, he, you know, he, I, we get along, we cook together. We, you know, we always had like this great relationship. And so, um, you know, I do think that I, I put, I project what I want people to believe.
0: From the outside looking in. Yes. It looks like ideal. do.
1: Yes. And, and even now when I'm like, I haven't drank in seven months or I've had.
0: Thank
1: you. Thank you. Um, But even now people are kind of like, oh, that's good. Are you going to drink again at some point? You know, (laughs) they just don't get it. And I'm like, no, because if I go drink some glasses of wine with you, I'm going to pick up two bottles on my way home to finish the night with, because two glasses is never going to be enough with me.
0: Yeah, right. Nobody asked me to drink because I'm such a freaking asshole. They're like, everybody's celebrating.
1: (laughs) Don't drink. (laughs) Don't drink. (laughs) No. But I am an asshole when I drink, too. I mean, on my 40th birthday, I had a big um, beer tasting party (laughs) that ended up with a bottle of tequila. Oh, shit. I don't remember half of that birthday, but my best friend told me she almost punched me in the face because I couldn't stop telling her how ugly I thought her new hair color was. Oh no! So I'm not the nicest when I'm drinking.
0: So, um, being sober around the house, um, you're—I'm sure with, with your son and everything, um, you're more you're in, more involved with him now. I'm sure.
1: I am, but I also think I'm struggling with that. Um, he's at an age where he's not that interested in me anymore. Um, he's interested in his friends and his video games and things like that. And so I have to kind of respect that side of things. We do not have that picture perfect family that does all of the things together. Like if, if we can get together and watch a movie (laughs) together, that's, you know, miraculous but I do know that he trusts me. And that's something that's really been important. And we've had lots of conversations, especially when my husband's drinking hadn't changed at all. And he was still blackout drinking because I would take Holden out of that situation. And I was asking him about that, how he felt and things like that. And so even though my drinking is a butt, I'm, I'm the butt of the joke with that. Um, it's kind of ironic, but, but I am in this house. Um, I'm okay with it because I want him to associate all of those negative qualities with drinking and, and, and realize that that's not who I am anymore. Even if we're not the best of friends, because we don't see eye to eye on things anymore. At least he knows that I'm not drinking and that I'm not going to be drunk or blacked out or embarrassing or anything like that. Um, But I do think our relationship has a little ways to go. Um, And I think I'm still in that really, really selfish phase where um, I'm trying to prioritize how much of myself I'm willing to give. And so he's a top priority and I'm a top priority right now.
0: Yeah. And you're getting to know you and he's getting to know you too. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. He hasn't known me not drinking. I mean, that boy's been watching me get shitfaced since he was in diapers. Yeah, I mean, when I think back of the things, and I know we all have our horror stories, but living in Louisiana, and I'm sure you'll know this, all those sugarcane fields, mm-hmm. I had all of my back road ways so that I could get completely shitfaced at my friend's house, and then make it home in one piece with a one year old in the back seat of my car. I can't. I don't know that I'll ever forgive
0: myself for that. Well, I, I saw really how much that, that affects you because earlier, I mean, you started tearing up because you yeah. see the things that, um, and it's hard to deal with. Um, and that's a hard part that all of us with kids have to face. Look, I was a deadbeat dad and there's stuff that, I just told you know Slim in his post, because he's on DIAS too. Got the whole freaking crew on AAS. Pretty soon I'll have cousins and uncles and <laughs> every freaking buddy, but we have to face our shit. We have to face this that this was what happened, face it, and then we got to get through it. You know, and getting to my kids is you know, my oldest son, we battled it out the first time I got sober because he wanted to keep saying, Well, this is what you did, this is what you did. And I'm like, look, I can't change the past. But if you want to have a future with me, we need to get this shit resolved. Mm. It's, it's just not easy. So. And
1: when you're willing to do that, that's wonderful. I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest roadblocks with my relationship with my dad is that um, I'm kind of in the same boat going, I'm, I'm still so hurt by all these things that are in our past and I haven't let them go. I'm hurt about them. But he's never tried to um, move forward or even acknowledge it. And I think that's a big thing, acknowledging your wrongs. Um, I'm not an AA person. I didn't go through the steps. I'm not a religious person. It doesn't feel like the right program for me. Um, But acknowledging who you've hurt, I think, is really important. And in that. Perspective. I mean, he's not willing to acknowledge the pain he's caused, the problems he's caused. And therefore I have a really hard time moving on with him about that. You know, I am much better at forgiving, but when you just don't even acknowledge that something happened or just tell me to get over it because it was so long ago, obviously it's still a problem. So.
0: Yep. And you need pops to listen and he's not. And that hurts, too. Yeah. And that's another bridge that you're crossing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot. You're in recovery now, I mean, and it's there's a lot. There's just so much there
1: was why I said that thing about the toxic, you know, letting go of toxic people when you made that post, because, you know, that's a that's another lesson that I'm learning. And it's a hard one. But um, toxicity is has no place in my life. It really doesn't. And when somebody is that toxic that it damages you, you know, I just you, you gotta watch out for yourself. If you're if you're not taken care of, you can't take care of anybody else. You know? So if you keep really damaging people in your life, they're gonna continue to damage you and you're not you're not gonna move forward either. So
0: and it's back uh, to boundaries, learning these Boundaries.
1: boundaries. Yeah. So So seven
0: months. Congratulations. That's so freaking huge.
1: Seven months, seven months of going to zoom regularly, going to therapy regularly, you know, like I'm just doing all the things.
0: So really I, you know, I haven't really even heard you talk about that. Alcohol really doesn't, it's not really even like a, you're, are you, do you get cravings anymore? Very often? Do. Do you?
1: I do. Um, uh, the biggest one that I had a while ago was in March because, um, you know, I'd given my husband that letter and I, we had to talk and I was not emotionally prepared for that talk. I still really struggle with big emotions. I struggled. They're not comfortable for me. I don't like crying. I don't, I'm much better at angry. (laughs) um, I don't like crying. I don't like being weak or perceived as weak or messy or out of control. Um, And I knew I had to have this talk and it was going to be difficult. And I couldn't, keep it together at work. And so I left and I went to my mom's house and I opened up her fridge to make a drink and like just something to drink. And she had my favorite bottle of vodka in the fridge and, um, (laughs) she wasn't home and I pulled it out of the fridge. I was unscrewing the cap off and I happened to get a message from, uh, my friend, uh, from doc. And he said, he said, put it back, put it back, put it back, put it back. And I did. And, um, but I, but I was, I was, I mean, it was in my hand. I was going to take a swig. Um, and there, and I, and I'm correlating everything now that when I have those cravings, usually there's something really difficult for me to emotionally deal with. And I don't want to. So I just want to drink because drinking is numbing for me. Just don't have to think about it. It's for tomorrow. Put it up. Yeah. Get
0: wasted today, put up. But then look at all the shit that would have caused. And but look, because you said no where you're at today. And you can look at that moment and go, wow, I got through it. And that was, that's probably, probably one of the most difficult moments of your sobriety right there, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. It speaks volumes. It speaks volumes of what these relationships are like to be able to, you know, like I talk to rags on the phone probably every weekend. I love talking to her. Um, and if she's I'm amazing. not talking, she is, she's, we have such a bond. Like she'll be, I know she'll probably be the first person I meet. Um, but I, I need those and she needs that like i think we all need these things right now so i'm just kind of going with the flow and not having expectations and not putting any type of uh you know like i'm not putting anything in a box you know i'm not like well this is this type of friendship or that you know like there's no rules like we're just we're alcohol, all figuring it out
0: alcohol had no rules when it when it entrapped you, you
1: yeah know? and so now recovery doesn't have a ton of rules either it's hell what no. works for you
0: and then you know even though you're not a 12 stepper and Polly and I were talking about this. If you look at your life, you're going to see that they just kind of organically happen. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. Cause I'm looking and I've been around 12, 12 steps since I was 14. Um, but I don't use them in order or anything. But now when I look back, I'm like, wow, these things have just developed. They're there. And it's just a really cool thing to know that, that, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to do everything in order you don't have to be perfect you don't have to do this program or that program you can take a little bit from everything take a little mm-hmm. bit from the 12 steps take some from annie grace craig beck uh alan carr um what's the woman's name stone or cement Samantha- or i can't remember there's a, another lady that writes really good books gray something gray. Um, Catherine gray
1: katherine gray yeah i've read katherine gray um i so much and Brene Brown, and just there's oh, so Brown, many
0: the power of vulnerability.
1: There's there's just so much out there, and this is what I love about right now because I know we're trying to wrap up. But this is what I love about right now: we're abolishing the wine culture, the drinking culture. People are speaking out against going. You don't need a bottle of wine to be a mom. You don't need to drink to cope. And everybody's talking about alcohol like it's a poison. And I feel like when you get a negative response from people about you're not drinking, it's be, they're reacting out of guilt and uncomfortableness because you, you're you not drinking. And that makes them feel either like you're – that you fall under a stigma, which we don't. You know what? I hate the alcoholic stigma. I, you know, I just, I'm not a drinker.
0: It's, de- it's developed. It's so developed. And it's, um, it's you check this, I've really been paying attention to this shit. Um, these uh, monsters that peddle this shit, they've been forming opinions in our cultures around the world, not just where we're at, around the world to where um, you're celebrated when you reach a certain age and you get to go out and puke until you drop. I mm-hmm. mean... Um, and they developed these opinions that if you stop drinking, you have a disease and you have a problem, and oh, poor you, and and you're put into a box and you you become a leper, and you know what? You're actually the normal one because I know, a, and everything is like backwards. Crazy. Yeah,
1: it is. It's like cigarettes, you know. Um, they. They marketed those and they were so widely acceptable. You know, think about the fifties, pregnant women were smoking, people smoked in their office. You think about mad men and that whole, you know, like whiskey in the office and stuff. So wildly accepted or widely accepted to smoke. And now, you can't buy a pack of cigarettes without reading about how it causes cancer and women shouldn't smoke when they're pregnant, you know, like all the warnings are there. Well, I think alcohol is eventually going to get there. It's going to take a while because of how widely accepted it is, but I really like the movement that is occurring. And I do think there's a movement occurring. Um, And that's
0: why we're building what we're doing. Everybody involved with this, nobody gets paid. We're all doing it because we're passionate we've seen the destruction in our families and ourselves. And it, it is, we're moving to like bring awareness. Yeah. That, hey, you don't have and to live in the fucking matrix. It. Yeah. Get out of the matrix unplug, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. plug back into I mean, if, your life.
1: If I ate cake and enchiladas for every meal, <laughs> like, and then was like, <laughs> I'm going to stop. I think I should stop. People would be like, that's great. That probably wasn't good for your heart. But you know, we try to stop drinking, and it's like, oh, did you have a problem? Right. Oh, mm. and there's so much judgment, and it's like, you know what?
0: Fuck y'all. <laughs> well, but it's not their fault, and and I've realized this. They're they're indoctrinated. Yeah. They're they're indoctrinated, and uh, and then on top of it, are they ready to examine their lives? You know, because remember, they've got the nice house. And everything looks good on the outside. And they don't want people digging in to their lives either. Mm-mm. And I, I think it's the biggest. It's not the people on the park bench in the prisons. That I think is the problem. Or the, or the majority, which we mm-hmm. all are trained to think that's the majority. It's the people uh, that you don't see that are stopping at different places during the week. So nobody knows how much they drink. And they're driving, they've got the nice car and they've got the nice home, but alcohol has consumed them.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I used to try different liquor stores because I didn't want anybody to know I was buying bottles of vodka every night.
0: What did you do? How did you get rid of them? Um,
1: get rid of the... The bottles. Oh, um, very discreetly. I like to have big purses. <laughs>
0: so you didn't just throw them in the garbage can and let them accumulate?
1: I did, but that was another thing that bothered me. Cause then you would take, we'd take out the recycling and the recycling was just like, clink, 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 clink. <laughs> I was just like, it has been like 12, six packs of beer. <laughs> That's right. so Embarrassing. When you see what you're drinking in a week. Yeah, i <laughs> put it all there and just look at what a week's worth of your drinking looks like. It doesn't even like, it's easier to not realize that when you're just buying a six pack of beer at night or something like that. But when you look at the accumulation of bottles, that's scary. Like the abuse that I was putting my body through is scary. I, I feel very blessed that I'm, I don't have a fatty liver and that my labs looked really good and that my EKG looked good. Cause I was really afraid that I had hurt myself.
0: Well, so. thank God that we have li- livers that regenerate, huh? Because I know mine was, mine was enlarged, fatty and everything else, but thank God that's one organ that heals itself. So.
1: Yeah. And you can, you can repair some of that damage, but.
0: This has been great. Uh, talking to you and I'm was- you know I just love your your story and just keep you know doing what you're doing it's just exciting and I remember when you when you did your relapse I remember everything you're talking about and yeah. you you've been through the ringer I mean you've been in the trenches fighting your ass off for your sobriety mm-hmm. and look you're glowing right now just like <laughs> um, just like rags and, and Molly and everybody else. Um, I can look at you and tell sobriety is good to you.
1: It is. It with, is.
0: No matter what happens, you know, if, if you got to write letter or do whatever, you just don't drink, right?
1: You don't. This is This is so many beautiful, good things and so many really hard, ugly things. And that's just part of the process. And you have to go in there knowing that you don't just stop drinking. And that's it. Like, that's not it. You were drinking for a reason. So if you stop drinking, the real work comes in finding why and then dealing with the why. And that's hard. That is hard. You mess. know,
0: when I first got on the piece or when I got on IAS, piece one had mentioned about um, dealing with your past. And I and I told her, bullshit, I don't have to deal with it. That's not me. I'm not that guy. I remember specifically, I was... Pretty rigid about it, and then I get off the alcohol, and all of a sudden, man, I got all these friggin' emotions, right? And then I got these feelings, and I'm shit. Then I start finding out I have these behaviors. I'm like shit. When does this shit stop? It's just like and it's. Compatible. I'm tired of this. Right. I
1: get it. I'm fucked up. I get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And now you, you're like, wow, I have ADHD. I have uh, this is going on, and I. I Shit, I just came here to quit drinking. What the hell I know. happened?
1: <laughs> I just wanted to cut down on the booze. I didn't want to just dive into my entire brain.
0: But it's, there's, it's a relief to do it. It's a relief. It is. It and is. it feels it, good.
1: It's, it hurts. It's hard. Like I see so many people who struggle, and I see them in the trenches dealing with the emotions. And I get there, too. I have high days and low days and days in between. And my low days are bad. My, I mean, some things that we have not even touched on and we don't have to, is that I have self-harmed, that I have had suicidal thoughts, that, you know, like I have had some really, really dark places in my life. And um, those don't go away. No. you know, they don't go away, but I'm learning how to not surrender to them. And well, I'm not always successful. Even now, like, I'm not, I don't think I'm out of the woods. Like, I am in active recovery, but I am by no means out of the woods. Well,
0: shit, you've got all these years of developing these attitudes and behaviors. Mm-hmm. You're seven months sober. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're not on a friggin' magic carpet either. <laughs> you got a lot of shit you got to <laughs> do, but it's cool because you're digging in and you're 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 looking and you're searching and you're excited about it. You know, I am.
1: It's good, and I hope that I inspire other people because, you know, like I said, I I do like being there for people. I like advocating. I like sharing what I've learned um, because
0: you're not just doing it in IAS. You're doing it in your personal life with these. The women. Mm -hmm. Real quick, just tell what is that with the with with what the women
1: with the women that I talk to.
0: Yeah, do you work with?
1: Uh, Oh, my empower. Okay, so I started doing uh, some volunteer work before I stopped drinking. I have a big calling and a big you know, I fell into OB-GYN really early. I was just looking for a job and it was the first person that hired me and ended up falling in love with it. I, it brought me out of my shell. It made me comfortable with talking about my body and accepting my body. And then I fell in love with making other women comfortable and other women having safe places And a couple of years ago, we had a speaker come talk to us, because my practice is almost all, it's 99% female. Um, We had a speaker from this Girl Empowerment Network come and talk, and we just talked about how our adolescence shapes our life. And it really resonated with me. And so I asked how I could get involved, and I started to do some mentorship, and then um, I did a conference. And just as the pandemic was starting, I was establishing a um, uh, I was going to participate in the conference as a speaker. I had a presentation and then the pandemic had happened and we couldn't do the, the conference anymore. But I'm as things are opening up, I'm trying to get more involved again. And basically it works with girls who are middle school and high school age And most of them come from low-income families um, where the development of self-worth and understanding what opportunities are going to actually be out there for you. Because a lot of people feel stuck, you know, like I come from a poor neighborhood, my parents are uneducated, I'll never go to college, that type of thing. And showing them that they can be so much more and, and to learn to respect themselves and to learn to... Believe in themselves, and that just—that was just something so huge for me. I just—I I can't wait to be involved in it again. I—I I really do love helping people. I'm—I I, when I teach my classes, it's because I got um, certified as an instructor for CPR, but I enjoy that too because I teach—I um, teach a class for my patients who are pregnant. Who want to know how to save their baby if ever that happens? And so wow, I just so I cool. Love doing that, um, and I get that from the app too. I get it from the app.
0: And you know that's what's cool is um, so many people getting sober. They have a huge desire to give back, some way or another. Well, you already had the desire built in you before you started, but yeah. even with me with drinking, I knew once I quit drinking. Um, I wanted to give back because how I used to get around other men coming out of prison and that just didn't pan out because I just wasn't, I just wasn't the holy roller that I used to be. I just, my ideas would God have just kind of formed after everything that happened. And, um, but I knew that I wanted to get back and I had to find a way and boom, you know, here we are. With the uh, town podcast.
1: <laughs> and this is perfect. This this does so much for so many. I was just telling, um, uh, I was telling somebody else from the app about it who didn't know about it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing. It really is.
0: And um, every one of us, we just enjoy the hell out of what we're doing. And thank you for coming and sharing your story with us, too, because your story, just like uh, rags and 10 seconds uh, and every Elaine, everybody else, Polly uh, Lilo, everybody's story, dad's life, you know, they've all had an impact and I get feedback on the side from all of these stories. And then I watch, I'm I'm able to watch you guys. Um, I, I, I don't know. I would be, you know, just cautious. Uh, There's been a lot of vulnerability hangover. I think, I don't think Elaine ever had one, but um, they've g- gone back and like, what the hell did I just do? I just dumped all this shit the- for the whole world to know. So,
1: I'm not too worried about it. I am such an open book. I guess that's part of the thing that kind of coincides with my career is that I'm not uh, typically, I'm uncomfortable with my own emotions, but I am not uncomfortable with talking to people or talking about uncomfortable things
0: um and i can kind of sense that in you i don't yeah. see it as much as i i did with a couple others where i was like okay this is probably going to get I'm you here for backlash right because your mind is going to come back and try to beat the shit out of you for what you you, and it's happened to me too
1: so. yeah i kind of knew where i was gonna go because i have done so much uh like diving into my own brain i i knew i had not an idea of where I was going to go. And I knew that I wasn't probably going to have any like major realizations with it, but there's definitely things that I'm working on that still, you know, like I said, with my son still really, really hurt me and things that I'm still working through and things that I am not healed from yet.
0: But you're digging and you're taking one step at a time and just keep being
1: the
0: the turtle, you know,
1: Yep. Slow and steady.
0: Yeah. And if you got to crawl in the mud with that turtle, (laughs) crawl in the friggin' mud, right? A
1: little dirt never hurt anybody.
0: That's right. ATX mom, thank you so
1: much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated it. And I enjoyed it today.
0: Me too. And I enjoy talking to you. And I mean, this is really the first time we've ever really even chatted like this. So I've seen you. Like a couple times when I was going to those zooms, but we haven't really ever talked. So
1: Mm-mm, no, it was really nice. Yeah, thank
0: you very much. And thank you, sober town. Thank you very much for listening. Jump on that sober train and ride, and pour the poison down, down the, the sink. drain. That's right. <laughs>